0: Once more, welcome to worship, everyone. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. If you're joining us by way of Facebook Live or YouTube, or if you're one of our friends in Perry, Oklahoma, or any other place uh, united with us in mission and purpose, we love you. God bless you. Thank you for being a part of this worship service. We are in the middle of a sermon series entitled What God Expects of Everyday People. So open your Bibles to Exodus chapter. What am I saying? Y'all don't need to open your Bibles. We're memorizing this, right? We're totally memorizing Exodus chapter 20. So y'all still needing your Bibles for that? Go ahead, go ahead. Open your Bibles, Exodus chapter 20. I really, I had this down week before last, but then this week I didn't review. So mm, I've, I've really stunk it up this morning every single time. I've tried, and I'm in a microphone, y'all, so if I mess it up, I drag us all down. Uh, So you can blame it on me, but I'm working on it. You work on it. Uh, We use our minds for all sorts of things, or sometimes we don't, but let's use our minds in order to feed upon God's word and put some of these important passages in our hearts. And I think the Ten Commandments is one of those passages that you want to have in your heart. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 17. Today, my preaching text is a single verse, verse 15. You must not steal, but let's, let's do the whole thing. From memory, if you can, you can I'm going to look up and down, and i give you permission to do the same thing, but let's see how far we can go. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household can do any kind of work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days... The Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Honor your father and mother, then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Verse 15, for today you must not steal. I think some of you have probably uh, discovered or rediscovered the very same thing I have discovered in going through the Ten Commandments together. I, I think... In the beginning, we all thought that uh, these were very basic biblical principles, and we were all going to be good with them. Uh, most of us probably would say that we live by the Ten Commandments, and certainly we have known these rules, many of us, from the very beginning uh, of, of faith for us. But but now, hasn't our experience in the last few weeks been something different than we expected? I, I mean, just the way that you just take one commandment at a time, and uh, and it's, it's like it. It's like the Holy Spirit just puts his finger right in a very tender place in your heart. It's as if God knows exactly what he's doing, right? God knows how we're designed. God knows what he intends for us. God can set the boundaries, and he has defined exactly where the blessings lie, how we live our lives in such a way where his blessings can flow in and out of our lives. And if we step out of those boundaries... We bring hurt, not just to ourselves, but for our children, for generations and generations. And this is what I've been rediscovering just in conversations with you. We talk about uh, honoring parents. And in the following week, I have you know a, a number of you coming up to me just saying, Pastor Tim, I need to talk. And, and you're wondering how to show honor to these parents who in your life have been so difficult or, or so dishonorable. And, and it's like that commandment just puts its finger on something very, very tender in your family. We talked about marriage last week, and and, oh my goodness, some of us really, really struggled, really struggled with what it means to, to be faithful to the promises you made to your husband, to your wife. It puts its finger on a very tender place in your life, in your heart. But you're thinking, this eighth commandment is going to be a breeze, right? You must not steal. You're thinking, huh, woo, this is going to be one commandment. I'm going to sit through this sermon. It's this going to be easy. I will be able to breathe, you know, because I'm not a thief. You know, obviously we all think the eighth commandment is speaking square in the face to thieves and robbers, but it probably doesn't have anything really to say to everyday people like you and me, right? Right? Let's talk about it. Verse 15 you must not steal. I think it's interesting because this eighth commandment obviously is very clear in what it forbids. But understand there's an assumption, there's a positive assumption behind that, 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 of that which it forbids. And the assumption is that people have a relationship to things, that, that, that we can have things and call them our own. What is the very first word that most children learn? Mine. Mine, right? So in case you're rusty on what it means to be a toddler and understand private property from a toddler's perspective, uh, let me give you a reminder. These are just rules of private property uh, from the toddler's room up the hallway. Here we go. Here we go. Rules for private property. Number one, if I like it, it's mine. Any toddler can tell you that. If I can take it away from you, it's mine. It's mine. Rule number three, if I had it a while ago, it's mine. If I say it's mine, it's mine. If it looks like mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you're having fun with it, it's mine. If you lay it down, mine. If it's broken, it's yours. Right? That's about right. That's about how it works. But as I say, this Eighth Commandment assumes something, and I want you to see this because I think it's interesting. The Eighth Commandment assumes that people have a relationship to things, and this is the way God ordains it. This is how God created this. We have a relationship with things. Interesting. Have you ever thought about that? Just things, but you feel connected to them. The house you live in, obviously, it's your house, and you feel an ownership of that. You do. You you own that house. But more than that, if you've ever moved and you drive past your old house, there's this sense where that's still your old house, you know, like that's your house, and you feel like you have something to say about, you know, the way they tore up all your rose bushes and put something else in there. You know, you just always feel this ownership. It was your house. We, We have a relationship to things, and God made us that way. The clothes you're wearing. We sort of identify with the clothes. I mean, some of you ain't trying that hard, to be honest. But others of you, I can tell. Like, you put some thought into what you wear. You have a sense of fashion and personal style. And you sort of identify with the very clothes you wear. I mean, that's just how God made us. We have a right to private property. And that's a part of life's goodness. Again, to simply forbid... Taking something that doesn't belong to you, that's stealing, right? It assumes that people have a right to certain things, and and the things that belong to them, they have a right to keep them. And you have no right to take it away. Understand? There's that assumption that people have a right to own things, to have things. I think it's basic, and, and, and I think it's important. But I think there are limits to it. And I think it's important for us to recognize the limits to what we can rightfully say we can have or own. Let's talk about those things. What exactly would the limits be? And and I think I I can give you three. First off, I think we're limited by the the way we obtain it. Uh, The simple rule for me is if you got to steal or if you got to sin to get it, you don't need to have it. You know, it's wrong to have it if you can't get it without sinning. I mean, it's just basic. If if you have to steal, if you have to lie, the way you obtain it has something to say about the moral permissibility of your having it in the first place. Number two, are there limits? Yeah, I would say there are limits based on the sort of property it is. In other words, there are some things you just don't have a right to have. It's, It's wrong to have it in the first place, you know, like a meth lab. or or any number of things that I could name. You know, it's just probably not okay to have it. You know, Tiger King probably shouldn't have a white Siberian tiger in his backyard. I mean, there's just some things that you probably really don't have a moral right to to own or or to have. Does that make sense? I mean, there are limits. Now, the third one I really want you to consider, I, I think as far as limits, you could ask about how much there is to go around Because I really think sometimes we should stop and question not just whether we have a right to have things, but do we have a right to have so much while other people have so little? Do you know what I'm saying? How much is there to go around? In my mind, my slice of the pie is determined first off by how big the pie is and by number two, how many people are we trying to feed? You know, I'm like, how far does it have to go around? And, and, and what I'm saying here is some of us have so very much. And we never stop to wonder if there isn't some line that we cross where it's no longer morally justifiable to have as much as we have. I don't know where that line is. I, I, I'm not going to draw that line in your life. I know that when Jesus was telling the story of the rich farmer, What did he say? It was this man who had so much and he loved it and he hoarded it and he tore down his barns and built bigger barns and dreamed of an even bigger barn and Jesus looked at him and said, you fool, your life does not consist in the abundance of your things. I think it's really something we should consider. As I say, the eighth commandment assumes that people have a certain right to things. And I think that we could just Understand that people have a certain right to the things that they need to live, like shelter and clothing and food and clean water. I mean, I think people just have a right to those things. And and the fact that we have so much of these things, is it ever just you ever get struck with that kind of irony? You ever walk by the guest room in your house? And then think about the way you don't ever have any guests. I mean, honestly, some of you have a room in your house that you call the guest room, but you don't have guests. As a matter of fact, nobody's gonna sleep in that bed because that's like the bed that you spent like $800 on sheets and comforters and like all those throw pillows. You have 20,000 throw pillows on that bed. And if one of your grandchildren were to move one, like, you know, you would lose your mind. I mean, that bed is actually more of a museum to you and Hobby Lobby. It's your guest bedroom, but you don't have guests. Do you ever, just ever just think, my goodness, I have an empty bed in my house and there are homeless people in Bowling Green sleeping under a bridge. Does that ever just strike you? That we have closets full of clothes, closets full of clothes. I mean, honestly, it's embarrassing, the clothes that some of us have, closets full of clothes. And there are people who don't have a, warm, a single warm garment in the winter. Does that ever just strike you that maybe it's not morally justifiable for us to have so much while other people have so little? I, I, I grant you, the Bible allows for private property and assumes it. I think we're created that way. I think God created us with that tendency to identify with things. I think God created us with a certain need for things. He put Adam and Eve in the garden told them to take care of it, but also, make no mistake, they're gonna live off of what comes from that garden. They, they depended upon the, the things in that, in that garden. And I think we're created in the image of a God who himself is a caretaker. God takes care of the things that belong to him. That's why you wanna belong to him, right? God takes care of what belongs to him. And because we're made in his image, there's just something in us that, that we wanna claim things as our own and then care for them. You ever raised a kid? I mean, one of the earliest lessons you teach a child is to give them something that belongs to them and then teach them how to take care of it. Understand? It's, it's just part of our nature. After the image of a God who himself is a caretaker, we, we own things, we, we take care of things. It's, it's just the way we're created. So I'm saying private property, I think it's biblical. I think there are definitely limits to it. But one of the clearest limits is in Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, when it says you must not steal. You must respect the property that belongs to other people. It's part of respecting them. It's part of loving them. You just can't take from other people what belongs to them. Now, like I said, I know y'all, you're all thinking, okay, Pastor Tim, we got this one, next commandment. Because honestly, most of us don't think that that applies to us at all because we don't think of ourselves as thieves or robbers. Can we talk about that, though? I mean, there are extreme examples. I was literally visiting a man in jail. And he said, Pastor Jim, I ain't stole nothing from nobody. I said, dude... Everybody saw you on Crime Stoppers, like on Channel 13, you know, they do the Crime Stopper thing. Have you seen this person? Like, he was on Crime Stoppers carrying a television out of the back of Walmart. We all saw you on Crime Stoppers carrying a TV out of the back of Walmart. He said, Yeah, but I didn't steal from any person. And that's really interesting. In his mind, he had this ability to steal a TV from Walmart, among other things, but honestly, He's the kind of guy, I'm telling you the truth, I could lay my wallet right there and leave the room and he would not steal from me. Like he, You could trust him with anything that belongs to a person, but you don't turn your back on him in Walmart. Because in his mind, Walmart's not a person. Now, y- y'all understand that Walmart has the same moral right to keep what belongs to them. You just can't walk through there and pick out what you want. I'm really not making a joke. In, in 25 years of being a pastor, I know, I know that there are people, and they've been in our congregation, who struggle with that. Like, they can have the money to buy it in their purse, in their wallet, and they'll steal if they, if they If they can get it, they'll walk out. They'll, they'll shoplift, y'all. And I don't know if, if it's a sickness. Something's wrong. If you got the money to buy it and you'd rather just steal it, I think there's something wrong. But I think it's interesting how we can be very, very guilty of these kinds of offenses, these kinds of sins, but continue to think of ourselves as good, honest people. It's that idea, like, like uh, we'll steal, but we won't call it stealing. We'll just say, you know, like, finders, keepers. Like, I found it. And if I found it, then probably God wanted me to have it. You know, so you sit down in a pew at church and there's a $20 bill on the floor and you're thinking, woo, thank you, Jesus. That's a God thing right there, you know, like you found it. But now, had you been in church and you realized, oh my goodness, that $20 bill, you know, that was, you know, for lunch, that fell out of my pocket. You'd be hoping that a good, honest person, picked it up and turned it in, right? Like, that's what you're hoping, that some good, honest person, because you know what good, honest people would do when you're protecting your stuff. But when it's you on the other side of that, you could easily say, well, you know, my goodness, you know, ain't no way to know who that belongs to. I guess it belongs to me. Thank you, Jesus, you know. Or, like, you buy a purse at a yard sale for a quarter, but you get it home, and you find a $50 bill, and you're like, woo! That is the best $0.25 purchase I ever bought. I got a $50. Y'all know how this works, right? But now you know the lady at that yard sale, she wasn't like giving you a door prize. When you have something in your possession that is not rightfully yours, you return it to its rightful owner. This is how the honest world works. You know, finders, keepers. But what if I deserve it? See, sometimes we take something that's not really ours to take, but we tell ourselves, you know, this ain't really stealing because I deserve this. So you go into work and you clock in early, even though you ain't working yet. But you're telling yourself, I, I work harder than anybody around this place. You know, I'm just making up for the time where I'm working, everybody else is taking smoke breaks. I mean, that's what you tell yourself. You're just clocking early, or you'll clock out late, even though you quit working it too. You know, there's such a thing as stealing time. There's such a thing as stealing from your employer. You can't say you deserve that. You're stealing. It's dishonest. You can't say that you deserve that. Or what about just the whole idea that, you know, everybody does it. Pastor Tim, everybody does. Everybody steals a little. Everybody steals towels from Holiday Inn. No, they don't. Honest people don't. I mean, honest people don't. Oh, Pastor Tim, come on. Why do you think they charge so much for a night in a motel? They know you're going to take the sheets and pillows home. No. No. Honest people don't walk out, you know, with everything that's not nailed down in a hotel. What is wrong with you? Pastor Tim, everybody does it. No, everybody doesn't. Honest people don't. Christ followers don't. Netflix thieves, right? Netflix thieves. I don't know how many of you in this room are on Netflix, but I would say a certain percentage, and I know you're all good church people, but a certain percentage of you who are, have Netflix, watch Netflix, enjoy Netflix, you ain't paying for Netflix. As a matter of fact, you may not even know who's paying for your Netflix. Because Netflix is something that in our culture is easily and frequently stolen. I stole Netflix once, I didn't even know I was doing it. Because honestly, this is how I discovered Netflix. My son came home from college, like his freshman in college. Netflix was pretty new. I thought Netflix was like getting, you know, DVDs and stuff in the mail. And then Netflix became something altogether different. So my son came home from college, and he logged our TV into Netflix. All of a sudden, I had Netflix. I'm a jackpot, man. I had Netflix. It was awesome. I started watching Lost in Space. I love Lost I mean, it's awesome. 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 So I'm watching Netflix, and about three weeks into this, and now actually very attached to several good shows, I start thinking, wait a minute, Netflix isn't free. Netflix isn't free, and I haven't paid for Netflix, and Lord knows my son hadn't paid, because I know what he paid, he ain't paid for no Netflix. So I'm thinking, who's Netflix am I watching? I'm three weeks into this, right? I was watching Netflix paid for by my son's college roommate's father. That man doesn't know me. He doesn't know me. But I just had this horrible thought, what if this man that doesn't know me suddenly realizes that his son's college roommate's father, who's a pastor, is like watching their whole family's Netflix. I mean, and y'all laughing, but right now in this room, you know, some of you are stealing Netflix. Like you're watching Netflix from somebody else that ain't even in your family. And you don't even think about it. like you don't think about the because you think that Netflix is a company and everybody you know everybody steals from the government everybody cheats on their taxes no they don't honest people don't so honestly if you look at the eighth commandment it's very very clear in what it forbids although we like to muddy the waters in order to rationalize the kind of everyday ways that we enjoy being thieves. You must not steal. Now, as I've been saying, when you're talking about the law in the Old Testament, you have to recognize that it's not a plan of salvation. It was never given as a plan of salvation. And we don't please God or earn righteousness by keeping these kind of laws, right? We're believers. We follow Jesus. We're saved by grace and faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us. Jesus himself is the living word of God, the fulfillment of the law, right? We've been saying this over and over and over, eight times at least. So let's recognize that even though Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, and this is not a plan of salvation, Jesus has this way of deepening and transforming all of the commandments. So because we follow Jesus and because we're being changed to be like him, holy as he is holy, then it changes the way in which these commandments direct us. So what exactly as believers in Jesus, how would the eighth commandment speak to us? I would say it very, very simply this way. Jesus turns every taker into a giver. So you've been saying, Pastor Tim, I'm gonna breeze through this sermon because I don't steal. Okay, good for you. It's really wonderful that you manage not to take other people's things. But please recognize, as a believer, there is more required of us. It's not enough just not to go through life not stealing. We're supposed to be givers, generous givers, cheerful givers. We're not takers. Unfortunately, a lot of people are takers. Even in the body of Christ, we have a lot of people who haven't matured spiritually beyond this basic level. They're still like kids in the toddler room screaming, mine, mine, mine. I mean, some people in every single situation of their lives are looking for what they can get from people, what they can borrow from people, what they can receive. I mean, they're just waiting for somebody else to give to them and do for them. But that's not what Christ teaches us. That's not how we live. We're givers. We give. Not just trying not to steal. We're looking for opportunities to bless people, to give to people. Toddlers up the hallway, all screaming mind. Exactly how is it that we try to teach them how to live as godly men and women? What do we teach them? We teach them to share. We teach them to share. We don't just teach them not to steal, we teach them to go beyond that and learn to share. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. I love this verse. Let the thief no longer steal. some of you would love it if that verse stopped right there. Like that was, yes, yes, thieves, stop stealing. But it goes on. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Yes. Some of you think, yes. I mean, you would love it if that verse stopped right there. Because that right there, that's how you live. You work hard and you want everybody else to work hard. And honestly, hard work is a part of the Christian life. It just is. The book of Thessalonians says that, that, that people who do not work shouldn't eat. I mean, it just says very, very plainly, this is exactly how we're supposed to live. You're not supposed to go out into life expecting other people to take care of you when you have the ability and the opportunity to work. You're stealing from people when you just let other people do for you when you're fully capable So uh, I'm with you there. But the thing is, that's not where this verse stops. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may, say the word, share with anyone in need, so that he may share. This is our purpose. This is what Christ wants us to do. We're supposed to be givers. We're not takers, we're givers. Those those of you who know me know that I uh, more or less grew up in this congregation. So when I am talking about discipleship, I am always aware of the fact that I'm talking to the people who have for the most part discipled me. And I just want to say that this congregation, as I've always known you, you've always been the most generous people on earth. I have watched the way you live your lives, giving and giving and giving to others, and you've always made me want to be more like Christ by being more like you and just giving. It's Woodburn Baptist Church. It's just, it's just the nature of, of you all, and, and I love you for that. It's always been that way, though. Our church is over 150 years old. Uh, we've got a pretty good uh, record, historical record, of everything the church has done through those years. One of my favorite chapters Is during the Great Depression. The Great Depression was hard. It was harder than anything any of us have lived through. You thought last year was hard. It wasn't Great Depression hard, understand? But in the Great Depression, when everybody was struggling so, do you understand? The people of Woodburn Baptist Church sat down and made an official decision to double their giving to missions. They decided in the Great Depression to double their giving. Now, why would they do that? In the record, they said it in the plainest words in the world. They just simply said they were going to double what they were going to give because they knew that other people everywhere else were having just as hard a time as they were. That's just, that's Christ, you know. I mean, for God so loved the world that he gave. I mean, Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And this congregation's always understood that. In the 80s, there was a deacon of our church named Billy Van Meter who died, and he died and left uh, an entire crop of tobacco, which was important to that family, and especially to his widow, Lena. It it sounds like an ordinary thing if if you're from around here, but the men and women of our church just pitched in. They mobilized, and they, they, our church folks, Took care of that entire crop. They did every single bit of that work and they did it for Jesus, but they did it for Lena. You know, and, and growing up in a church like that, there's just that part of me that just, I wanna be in on that. And when I say that, it doesn't mean I wanna be on the, like I wanna be on the receiving, like I want y'all to come and take care of my crops, like the, mow my yard this week, y'all. I mean, somebody come. No, I don't envy that part. I, I wanna be the giver. I, I want to be that kind of man, and I've learned that from the men in this church. You you just give, you you do for people because that's what Jesus calls us to do. One Sunday, you know, messages like this one, I, I just mentioned, and I don't remember exactly why I mentioned it, but I mentioned that there was a woman in our congregation who had to walk out of Walgreens because she couldn't pay for her prescription. I didn't ask for an offering. I don't remember exactly the context, but I mentioned that there was a, a, a lady in our congregation who walked out of Walgreens because she didn't have money for her prescription. And at the end of that sermon, people were giving me money at the door because this is just it's the nature of our church. And, and I don't really like handling money. Let I me mean, just say that in the church. I don't touch money. I'm a, I'm a million miles away from any of the money. Um, but that particular day, people gave me money and just said, I want you to give this. You don't have to tell me who she is, but I want you to give this to this woman. So at the end of that Sunday, I had $86, $86 in cash to give to this lady. So the next morning, Monday morning, I went to her house and just said, listen, the church knew about your need, and, uh, and people just wanted to give and help you, and I've got this money for you, and counted it out. It was $86, and she began to cry. Do you know why she cried? Do you know how much her prescription cost? $84. Yeah, $84. So I love it. I love it because that means like God took care of her prescription and then gave her a $2 tip from the congregation. No, I love the way God rounds up. God always gives more. God always gives abundantly to us. And you say, Pastor, I don't know about that. In my life, I don't always feel so blessed. It's, it's fine for you to talk about sharing all you rich people up in here, but I'm telling you one thing, I ain't got enough to share. I'm barely getting by. Now, Bless your heart. Can I please just talk honestly with you? Here's the thing. If you have a heart like Jesus that loves to give, you will always have something to give. It's just funny how it works. When you love to give, you will always have something to give. And have you not been around long enough by now to understand that some of the richest people in the world are the stingiest people in the world? And some of the people that don't look like they have enough for anything, they will give you the shirt off their back. So we're not talking about what's in your purse. We're talking about what's in your heart. And if you have a heart like Jesus that just loves to give, I'm telling you, you will always have something to give. You will always have enough. Always. If you love to share, you will always be able to share. It's just how the spiritual universe works. But if you don't like to give, I'm telling you, it won't matter how much you have, you'll never have enough. Jesus takes every taker, turns them into a giver. And that's what he wants to do in your life. So we talk about the eighth commandment where it says you must not steal. You must not. I mean, plainly, stealing is forbidden. But because of Christ, we're called to so much more than just not stealing, not taking from people. It's not enough not to take. Jesus calls us to give. To give, for God so loved the world that he gave. I understand what I'm saying? Be a giver. So, bottom line: this is your mission, this is your purpose, this is what it means to follow Jesus. You need to see every moment of your life as an opportunity to give something and not to take something. Every moment of your life is an opportunity to give something. I mean, every opportunity, this, this moment in church, for example, you're in a room with, with hundreds of people, you know, it's an opportunity to give something to somebody. I'm not, you know, I don't know what that is, but, but too many of us walk into every situation hoping to get something. We'll walk out of church and say, well, I didn't get anything out of that. Well, you obviously came for the wrong reason. You don't come to get something. You come to give something. And I'm telling you, if you go into every opportunity looking for something to give, you will always, always find your purpose. Every single moment is an opportunity to give something, not to take something. So be a giver. Jesus is a giver. You be a giver. And while you're at it, when you're giving, just always round up. Give more than they ask for, more than they need. Just bless them abundantly because isn't that how Jesus blesses you? He gives and gives and gives. Turns every one of us takers into givers like him. Be a giver. Pray with me. Oh God, you are such a gracious, generous giver. You have given us the gift of life, the gift of this new day. You have given us beats in our heart, you have given us breath in our lungs. You have given us strength in our bones. You have given us jobs. You have given us homes, clothes, food, clean water to drink. You have given us so much, more than we need. So God, help us to understand that our purpose in life is not just to get stuff, not just to accumulate things, not just to hoard it for ourselves, not just to build on another room so we can have another closet to put more in. Lord God, help us to look for opportunities to give. To give, to give, to give it all away, just to give, Lord, because you constantly give to us. Oh, God, those of us who struggle, those of us, Lord, who see something and we, we, we want to have it, we want to steal it, we'll take it, we'll own it, we'll do whatever it takes, Lord, God, I pray that you would break that selfish, dishonest streak in our soul's Make us, Lord, to love truth, to love honesty, to love generosity. Help us, Lord, to love you, Jesus, so much that you're able to change our hearts. Lord, take the heart of every taker in this house today and make us into givers. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus who has given us everything. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.